Hey everyone and welcome to the 49th edition of DF2X Weekly. It's our weekly show where we do indeed discuss the latest gaming and technology news and uh, a paired back Vosta this week because everybody's kind of busy doing all manner of stuff. Not that we aren't busy, but we do have time for this. Joining me, John Linneman. I always have time for you guys. I, I, I love doing this. This is It's just good times. But yeah, I think uh, Alex has a big video in the works. Tom is working on Cyberpunk, of course. Uh, you know, Audie and Will are doing their thing. So it's just us today, and maybe we'll get a surprise visit from a certain Mr. Warden. I don't know. You never know. <laughs> oh my word. Okay. <laughs> um, let's move on to the first news topic of the week. And it's a big news topic because CD Projekt Red has made good on its word and released a next-gen upgrade for Cyberpunk 2077. New versions of the game are available for PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X, and, of course, Xbox Series S. Uh, I've not had a chance to look at them. Obviously, we have our Slack channel. Uh, Tom is busy working on the uh, on the coverage for us. We've seen various assets crop up there. But, John, you've actually played it, right, on Series X or PS5? I've played it on both Series X and PS5, so I have I have thoughts on both of them, uh, and it isn't it's an interesting story then, uh, and there's a lot of different points of discussion around this. There's the discussion over what does the quality mode buy you with its ray traced shadows? Uh, what about the upgrade process? Is it really as difficult as it seems on Play PlayStation Five? Um, you know, what's the performance like? What does it look like? You know, that kind of stuff and I do have a good sense of where they're at. And I will say, I want to start by saying I actually really enjoyed the game on PC even back at launch. I finished it there. There were some minor bugs, but my experience was generally good, but I played on a very high-end PC uh, with full ray tracing. And then I played it on console. And I remember the first time I loaded it up, I had the sinking feeling in my stomach that something was wrong. Like it just felt empty. It was blurry. It was. It felt glitchier. Like the whole thing was was not good. So I haven't loaded it up on console really since then, and that made such a bad impression. So to to come into it now, I actually started on Xbox Series X because that one was actually the easier one to upgrade, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, and first impressions are actually pretty solid in that it does now look much more like I would say a mid-spec PC version might look. Uh, it's relatively clean. Uh, both the performance mode and the uh, quality mode look good. They're, they're sharp. Uh, the density is there. They added the new crowd system, which is next-gen exclusive. Uh, and that has an impact on the reactions from the crowd. It has an impact on the number of, of people and vehicles within any scene. Uh, I actually think that's a big deal because you know that intro scene, Rich, where you walk out of the apartment building for the first time? And on the consoles originally, especially like on PS5 or PS4, you'd walk out of there and it looks deserted. There's nobody on the street except for like one or two uh, pedestrians. And here it's like packed. It looks much closer to even the original sort of E3 reveal, reveal and much more like the PC version, which is great. It's like, okay, that's, that's great to see. So the city feels more alive. It feels more responsive to your actions. It looks visually better. <clears throat> but... So, but there's the quality and performance mode, and this is where things get a little bit dicey, kind of. So performance mode is the one I'm, I'm going with for now because it does target 60 frames per second. 
Um, Tom will have more details on this, but neither PS5 or Series X seem to be able to 100% lock to it. There are some dips, but it is overall very stable, uh, which is one of the reasons why I would say Xbox version kind of takes point here because you get VRR support. So those, those dips are cleared up, right? So uh, I didn't actually notice any slowdown on Xbox until I opened up the little VRR panel and I said, ah, okay, we are seeing some dips. You just can't feel them because they're not significant. So that's good. Um, but then there's the quality mode. And the big thing I found here, the very first thing that stuck out to me is the input latency. Because I've been playing a lot of Horizon 2, the forbidden, you know, Horizon the Forbidden West. Uh, I maintain it's 2 because it has that little dash in the middle. Um, I've played that at 30 FPS. I played Forza Horizon 5 at 30 FPS. These two games have the word Horizon in the title, and they both have very good input latency. It's very, very responsive, even in the 30 FPS mode. Then you load up Cyberpunk, and it feels like you're moving a tank. It's just heavy. It feels unresponsive. I mean, technically, it's not like Killzone 2 bad by any means, but it feels more like a game of that generation. I mean, you remember during that generation, right? PS360, a lot of games were launching with these deferred renders that were really heavy enough on resources to cause the the, the spike in input lag to just go way up, and they felt very unresponsive, and that's how I felt here, um, which is not good, right? Yeah, I mean, if we go back to that generation, it was, you know, you were typically looking at, you know, 133 millisecond end-to-end latency, not including display lag. Killzone, at its worst, could, like, go up to, like, 200 milliseconds, which is, like, Kinect uh, territory. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Like, it was and, re- um, really bad. And, you know, when you get a good a game that actually has low input lag at 30 hertz, I think at the time uh, that the record holder was uh, Criterion's Need for Speed Hot Pursuit. It's like 84 milliseconds, 83 milliseconds, which is pretty awesome. But that was the exception, not the rule. And it's, it's really nice to see that um, at 30 hertz, we are getting really good input latency response in some titles these days. But it does make, you know, the games that don't get it right sort of really stand out. Exactly. And that's a shame because in this case, I actually think the 30 FPS mode looks visually okay in motion because it has a very nice motion blur with an excellent long shutter speed. Uh, So it really accentuates movement. It looks clean and and smooth enough, you know, not as smooth as 60 FPS, but it's fine. Uh, But, and that would be okay if the ray tracing features were perhaps more worth it because in its current form, it seems to be limited to ray-traced local shadows, which is new, by the way, as well as ray-traced ambient occlusion, uh, in addition to slightly improved screen space reflections, basically one notch up on the settings ladder. These are nice features, don't get me wrong. I, I like these both, but I don't feel that they make a huge impact in most scenes. If you actually look for it, you will note areas where, oh yeah, there could be a shadow here. Uh, but by and large, I think that it's fine, uh, and you don't get sun shadows that are ray traced like on PC, which was always the original option there. Um, and this is the thing, and not I, I. What do you think, Rich? Like, how many people do you think have really had a chance to experience Cyberpunk at its best? Because with the GPU situation in the consoles, I feel like it's a pretty limited subset of, of people playing these games that actually had a chance to see what it looks like with ray traced global illumination and ray traced reflections. 
uh, in addition to everything else. It's going to be a minority, you know, a very, very tiny minority, but that minority could grow over time um, as as basically PC hardware grows into the uh, into the capabilities, you know, that, that are required to get a good experience with RT features on this game. I still think it looks good without RT, but but, you know, there are some comparisons doing the rounds now on Twitter that show, you know, RT fully fully enabled RT on PC on versus off, and it's a game changer, right? As we said at the time. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's one of the best examples of this I've ever seen. It's really, really yeah. beautiful. <laughs> and you're not getting anything. I mean, for the next gen patch, you're not getting anything like the same experience still. And I do agree with you that you know, based on the assets that I've seen, um, to give up 60 frames per second for, for for those enhancements it's a tough sell isn't it yes i i do have to agree with especially with the input leg so i kind of feel like that's why i do prefer the 60 mode it's more responsive and playable and it doesn't look that different to be honest i mean i'm i was really hopeful that they had found a way to optimize modify the way they were doing their rt tgi maybe to evolve it into something closer to metro exodus uh, to actually get it running on consoles, I do still think there could be some feasibility there, but it's hard. I mean, ray trace global illumination is very, very expensive, so I'm not that surprised. Um, and we know that on the PC, it's very expensive, right? If you're not running a decent NVIDIA GPU, uh, you don't have a chance, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and you need that DLSS too, mind. right? Like a 3090 running native 4K. It does not run that well <laughs> with all the ray tracing enabled. You need DLSS, so it's it's a it's a difficult situation then, and I'm just a little bummed out that console users didn't get to experience this. Basically, they're missing out on on how it can actually look, and it does impact the atmosphere in the game, possibly more than just about any other game I've played with RTGI. Uh, it's a it's a big deal. I'm going to be interested to see the full sort of analysis from Tom on this because it's looking like performance has actually improved on the performance mode, and it's looking like um, you know graphics have improved as well. So at least even if the RT mode isn't everything we wanted it to be, the performance mode seems to be a significant step up. That's the key. You get this performance mode, you get it with better image quality, much better actually. You get it with more detailed visuals. Like everything's improved, and and that includes the game itself. Uh, so it is actually a much better experience now and probably closer to what, you know, like I said, mid-range PC owners are going to be experiencing. And that's good. Um, I will say, though, there has been some talk about the upgrade process, which is interesting. And I did it on both. So on Xbox, it is, as they say, it's it's kind of a patch, but it's in the sense that it's completely automatic. But it is basically re-downloading the whole game, right? But to the from the user side, it is actually seamless. You know, it's like, oh, there's an update. You hit update. The game's there. Your saves carry over. Achievements carry over. Everything is just as you left it. Um, PlayStation has the same sort of hurdle to jump through with um, you have to essentially go to the game in your library and then down, you have to click into it and then select the PlayStation 5 version to purchase it, even though you're not purchasing it. Uh, it's just on the store as a separate build. And then when you go to install it, it asks you, do you want the PS4 or do you want the PS5 version? So that was a little bit of the typical hoop you have to jump through. I don't really think it's a big deal, but the Microsoft solutions just clearly better, especially if you're not like actually used to these types of things. 
Uh, I will say, though, that their save process was surprisingly um, seamless for me. Like, I loaded it up the first time and just hit continue on PS5, and it went right into the game, right where I was. So, okay, so that no actually worked. To, no need to import saves or anything? I didn't have to do any sort of... I don't know if that's a thing. I think they might need to be in the cloud, right? Possibly, okay, or at least, or at least on your system. But mm. you don't need to have the PS4 version installed. You don't have to do anything like that. They just appeared, which was good. So that's that's a step in the right direction, I suppose. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the state of things. Uh, it's a good patch. You know, I'm still seeing some bugs popping up for some users, and I really want to know. I'd like to watch the way some of these people play these games because I, I wonder if people are just running through, banging their heads against everything, <laughs> or if the stuff is just breaking naturally. Like it's it's very strange, but it does seem to be much more like what the game should have been in the first place. Yeah, absolutely, and um, it was kind of stealth. Well, it, obviously, patch one point five came to the PC version. Um, but there was no real announcements from CDPR on any changes visually. Uh, there was the um, announcement of the benchmarking mode, which I've looked at, which is quite interesting. But Alex actually noticed that the um, RT shadows has, have been upgraded. It's been kind of a bit of a weird controversy on that because some people believe it was actually rolled out in a prior version of the game, which is unclear. But basically it looks like the RT shadows... Um, are now enhanced on the PC version. It's not just Sun Shadows now, right? That's right. It was previously Sun Shadows. Now it's All Shadows, uh, which is interesting. <laughs> I said to Alex this morning, uh, do you think we should do a standout video since like, you seem to be the only person to have noticed this? And he just put, no. No, please. <laughs> now, the thing about that's interesting about that, though, I think the confusion stems from their own patch note thing. They have this diagram that they've been showing around to say like these are the features in the game and under specifically the local shadows ray tracing uh it says that previously added on pc so you know but it does have an impact on performance so you'd think that like benchmarkers would have noticed that or something so i'm not entirely sure what's up with that uh but alex is not doing a video we're gonna spare him that <laughs> Uh, well, I think that's all we've got to say about Cyberpunk Patch 1.5 at the moment, but it's uh, it's good to see that there is actual support for the new machines now. Um, obviously, though, Xbox Series S got a bit of a, a uh, short shrift, as they Again, say. I mean, yeah. what do you think about that, Rich? I'm just going to come out and say it. I mean, um, I'm not really too fussed about the GPU limitations of the Series S. I am more fussed about the memory situation and the memory bandwidth i think though that is the primary issue why these features like you know ray tracing and you know 60 fps are harder to implement 60 fps though maybe they could do something on that but the resolution is going to take a take a, a big hit i would say i think ultimately it's it this is going to be this is going to sound really harsh but you know the series s is not for the digital foundry audience um it's for people who you know want to play the latest games but probably aren't invested in the highest end rendering features and um, and it's going to continue to be that uh, as far as i can see i mean we can see from stuff like the matrix awakens that it is possible to get all of that high-end stuff in there but man it's it's not easy yeah i mean we we spoke to epic and them about the matrix stuff and it sounds like just getting it to work at all on series s was extremely challenging so I think 
and it didn't it was like what 540p <laughs> i think it was upscaling from Some, yeah. something like that like it's Some, something low that's it's something sure. very yeah. low <laughs> we're getting to switch still, territory it still looked good though you know but no i mean um, it's, it did yes i agree but even so, I just think that um, the Series S is, is the machine for playing the games, but not necessarily um, savoring the, the top-end rendering features or indeed 60 frames per second. Um, but I think they've um, announced that they're going to be investigating 60 FPS. I mean, on the face of it, we're talking about dynamic 1440p at 30, which does suggest that there is you know, a window for a lower resolution running at 60. But it, I guess it just depends. I mean, we don't know at the moment what the typical resolution is. I mean, dynamic 1440, it may not be 1440 unless you're looking at the sky. Not much going on. We don't know at the moment. Yeah, they say they said the same about the other consoles, dynamic 4K, but it's not 4K. <laughs> just, just throwing that out there. <laughs> okay, well, I think that's all we've got to say about Cyberpunk patch 1.5, so let's move on. Uh, news topic number two, John, and uh, another one where you have played it where I haven't. Uh, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah, Dying Light 2. Um, when we were doing the initial coverage for it, um, there was talk of a VRR mode specific for Xbox uh, Series X that is essentially the performance mode. But if VRR is enabled, it will essentially unlock the frame rate and you will see performance exceed 60 frames per second, which is pretty much lock if you don't have a VRR display. Uh, I'm curious about this one because first of all, it was, you know, it was mooted, but it wasn't in the launch code. It is in the code now. It has been patched in. What does it do? It's exactly as you would expect. It simply removes the cap and allows the game to run as fast as it can. And in this case, um, you know, looking at a range of areas from the city through the opening forest, it seems to vary between 70 at a minimum up to 100 frames per second. And I found that during my testing, it sort of averaged around 90, uh, which honestly with VRR, that is phenomenal. It feels significantly more responsive as a result, right? So Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, right? Like it it it's a game changer in that sense where now you suddenly have this super smooth performance uh that is correctly like it's it, it uses VRR correctly. It's not like Halo Infinite for instance, which does not or has an issue with V-Sync. This actually does feel completely smooth and stable as a result. Here's the thing, right? It's going to be about frame times and not frame rates when you go above 60. That's, you know, the actual persistence of each frame becomes much more important. 70 FPS is about 14 milliseconds, so only a couple of milliseconds um, shaved off the 16.7 of 60. But when you're at 100, then basically you're at 10 milliseconds. So, yeah, basically that is that is quite an upgrade. And if you are sort of averaging, you know, 90, 100, you will notice it. It will look much smoother. It will be significantly more responsive. And it's a bit of a win, especially since a lot of people were kind of upset by the 1080p 60 limit on the performance mode. Um, I'm still curious if they're going to actually do some kind of, you know, whether DRS, dynamic resolution scaling, could be implemented, whether they will um, uh, optimize uh, the settings choice to, you know, to increase the resolution. But this certainly sounds like an interesting experience. I think of of any developer that we've seen, they supported their last game for so long, and in fact ha still have a, a next-gen patch in the works for Dying Light 1. Uh, so, you know, I think it's fair to say that they do seem to be listening to what the customers are saying, and I think it's pretty well known what people think about certain choices. So 
I don't know. I, I feel like there's a good chance that we could see some further settings, tweaks, changes, additions, that sort of thing to further optimize the experience. So we had a question here from Xworm from the DF Supports Program. Hey guys, did you have any chance to look at the Dying Light 2 VRR mode for Xbox? That question has been answered. Seems, seems like it now runs at 80 to 100 FPS on average in performance mode, as far as I can tell, through LG's built-in VR info screen. Do you think DRS with a lot 60 would have been better instead? So he's, he's saying, should they have just put in the option to uh, just enhance the existing performance mode? I mean, because we are seeing GPU overhead here. So what do you reckon? I think the problem is that they don't have a working DRS system in this game right now, right? That's, that's a slight that, problem, isn't it? That's the issue. particular conjecture. Uh, but that's not to say <laughs> that they have, you know, if you look at the switch port of Dying Light, that has DRS and it has temporal upsampling. Uh, they've done that before, but I gather that there's something specific about Dying Light 2 that makes that difficult to implement, and thus we don't see anything like that currently. Uh, but again, it does. That would be optimal, right? D DRS with TAAU, like the Switch game, would honestly help a lot because that port ended up looking closer to native 1080p in a lot of cases. Uh, and if you play it in portable, it actually looks like native 720p most of the time, uh, which is pretty impressive given what it's actually dropping to. So. Um, I think that would actually be the solution. It's just a matter of whether they can get it working or not. Absolutely. I guess we'll have to just wait and see. But, you know, bearing in mind, as you say, the longevity of Techland games, hopefully, hopefully we should see something, uh, some, should see some movement there. But I think that's all we've really got to say about Dying Light and uh, fascinating upgrade. And I love these things like the 40 FPS mode in Ratchet and & Clank and this VRR mode, where it's essentially developers that are, tinkering, you know, experimenting with the new features that are available on the latest displays. And we're getting some really good results here. So long may it continue. I agree. I We need to see more of this. I mean, we've been banging the drum for a while now, but it's, you know, 40 hertz modes, this sort of over 60 uncapped mode. This stuff is great. So keep it coming. So some bad, but not totally unexpected news here. Uh, Nintendo has announced the death of 3DS and Wii U digital storefronts. And uh, I guess we're going to be going over old ground here to a certain extent because, you know, it, we've talked in the past about the finite nature of these digital storefronts and how a lot of good games are just being lost forever by their impromptu closures. Uh, what makes this one different? Well, it's Nintendo, so there's little chance of them reversing this decision. Uh, but what, what makes this, the thing about the way Nintendo does it especially, and I guess this applied to the Vita maybe as well and PS3, uh, those digital stores on those platforms are their own bespoke silos, if you will, <laughs> where they it's essentially like they're running the server, server backend specifically for each of those platforms. They have zero integration into the Switch system. And as a result, you know, that has a lot of cost to upkeep. So I do understand why they would want to shut that down, but I'm not really okay with it as usual. It's the same, it's the same thing. It's, they're basically throwing up the middle finger to their uh, digital customers, just saying like, eh, don't buy digital on our platforms. You can't trust it. 
I mean, I don't buy digital on their platform, so <laughs> I'm not that fussed about it, to be honest. And, and that's just a personal thing. But I am extremely uh, annoyed that this is this keeps happening. Um, and I don't know what can be done about this at this point, other than, you know, the community has to take it into their own hands, if you know what I mean. As of May 23rd, 2022 it will no longer be possible to use a credit card to add funds to an account in Nintendo eShop on Wii U or Nintendo 3DS Family of Systems. As of August 29th, 2022, it will no longer be possible to use an eShop card to add funds to an account. However, it will be still be possible to redeem uh, download codes until March 2023. So 2023 is when the closure is actually happening, right? It sounds like they're essentially limiting the payments by those dates and then late march 2023 it's going to be closed down completely uh, though they did specify at least that you can still download purchases that you've already made so you're not going to lose access to that yet uh but it's the same problem as when sony was doing this where this essentially means that there's going to be games that are lost to time that you won't be able to purchase legally anymore it's not great. I mean, I'm kind of looking at Nintendo's Q&A. First question, why is this happening? This is this is part of the natural life cycle for any product line as it becomes less used by consumers over time, which is fair enough, right? But, you know, it is a finger up to not just the user, but also the developers that made these games that will no longer be able to be enjoyed unless... You rush out and buy them now, you know, and it, it, that kind of limits the ability of newcomers to access these games as well, which isn't great. So I will say that at least, at, you know, most of the best games on these platforms are available physically. Not all, but most of them are. And more importantly, for preservation, uh, there's no DRM issues here. So it is possible to actually preserve this stuff. There's just not going to be a way to buy them legally. Uh, so we're fortunate that Nintendo is doing this because they haven't locked that stuff down. If it had happened with another company that does have these things in place, then they might actually be lost. But it's still, um, you know, it's, it's frustrating. Well, you know, the elephant in the room, obviously, is that both the Wii U and the 3DS were hacked and that's what those games, that's what I, that's those what games are, yeah, <laughs> essentially they're digitally preserved, whether Nintendo likes yeah. it or not. Yeah, yeah. But it's not ideal because you know the concepts that people might like to buy these games isn't exactly alien, right? <laughs> Bizarre, yeah. And obviously, we've you know, in, in terms of rerunning this conversation, we had a similar discussion with the closures of the PS Vita stores and PS3, but um, Sony relented. Um, all I would say there is it's actually a really bad experience now to actually access those services on uh, PS3 in particular. It's really bad on PS3. It's so bad. Uh, when I messed up the HDMI port on one of my PS3s while doing a video, uh, I switched to a different unit and had to re-download stuff. And I was just in awe at how difficult, time-consuming, and just horrific the experience was. It's not good. I mean, it's literally one of those things where it takes you about two hours to even do the process, and then you basically leave the system on for a couple of days and let it go. It's a bit of a shame, but at least there are mitigating strategies in place. Uh, let's move on. Next news story, uh, Chrono Cross 
Uh, obviously, there's a remastering effort in effect. Uh, there's been some communication from uh, Square Enix that is designed, I believe, to put uh, the fears of fans at rest to a certain extent. I'm not really up to speed with this. Tell us more. Yeah, so this is a, a very quick little piece. Um, when they showed the trailer for Chrono Cross, the, the re-release, they were using these very poorly filtered backgrounds, uh, ugly UI elements. Just they, they did a lot on it that didn't look great. Um, and at least they've confirmed now that if you want to enjoy the original visuals, it does seem to be an option, which is good, I think. Um, you know, it's, that's definitely going to be something that helps make it more palatable. <laughs> Not to say that this looks like a great remake or anything, but, or sorry, remaster, if you even want to call it that, but there it is. Yeah, I think we discussed before, there's this kind of bizarre situation with Square Enix remasters of these games where the amount of effort poured into them seems to vary on a drastically on a case-by-case -case basis drastic like sometimes you can have some of the most impressive remasters remakes and then you have these uh which is hilarious and i think they got some flack this week they finally showed the train battle from final fantasy 3 slash 6 where you use the suplex move you know a suplex supposed to literally you go upside down with it that's what they did in the original the train fires up in the air you come back down it's upside down with the sprite uh, it wasn't do even doing that. It's a small thing, but it just shows that they don't quite have the details in place. Yeah, which is absolutely crucial for these efforts where the games are so beloved and, you know, the fans are looking out for all of this stuff and it's not great if, you, if, you, if you're not as... It, well, put it this way, when the fans are pointing out mistake in, in, in the work, it's not a good position to be in so conversely i saw more on the klonoa collection which by the way is getting a physical release and it's not just ports even they've actually gone back and they've done work to these titles uh obviously i have to wait till we do more on it but i was really impressed with what i've seen so far on that one that's definitely one to keep an eye on um you wanted to get a shout out to final vendetta the new game from the bitmap bureau yeah so i did a video a while ago featuring the creators of Xenocrisis on the Mega Drive. And then we did a live stream with them last year for their excellent game, Battle Axe. And then just out of nowhere, it's like, hey, here's the next game, Final Vendetta. And it's a side-scrolling brawler style game. You know, very Streets of Rage style. We've seen a lot of those recently, but they don't always hit. The one that hit was Streets of Rage 4, which is phenomenal. But this actually goes for, Final Vendetta goes for more of a pixel art style. Uh, with a lot of frames of animation actually so it looks very promising and just feels very authentic i haven't checked to see who's doing the art but they usually work with hank nieborg who's a phenomenal pixel artist from you know the original time of pixel art he's still doing it <laughs> so uh it's great to see so yeah i'm i'm sure i want to do something with that at some point when it hits Mm -hmm. He is hoping for a great soundtrack as well. It's kind of key to these brawling games, I think. I think I saw in the trailer at least one of the people working on the music was the Utah Saints, if you remember them. <laughs> I do. <laughs> so that's really interesting. <laughs> wow, that's a sort of 90s blast. Uh, uh, it makes sense. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, uh, let's move on to our final news topic. 
Uh, well, I'm not too sure whether this is like going to be a news story as such or a rant. Elden Ring's recommended specifications for the PC version have been revealed in a tweet. And I honestly don't know what to make about this. Uh, but if this basically got minimum and recommended specifications and, you know, just seemingly random hardware put in on both cases which doesn't tell you anything about <laughs> what it really actually means. What does it mean? This is the big thing, right? There's got to be a standardization effort for uh, PC system recommendations because what, you know, you've got to define what minimum specifications mean. Does it mean like it actually boots and runs? Does it mean you're going to get a good 30 FPS experience? What about resolution? I think it's changed over the years. In the in the old days, it did used to mean if you were under these specs, the game probably wouldn't work, <laughs> right? So there was actually a time when they were actually minimum. Now, I actually think that minimum spec is what the publisher deems the lowest spec hardware that they're willing to support, right? If you can run it on less than that, good for you. But if you come crying to them saying it doesn't run on your PC that's under the minimum spec, I suspect that that gives them ground to basically say, you didn't meet the minimum spec, sorry. You know what I mean? Like, that that's kind of what it feels like at this point. <laughs> right, yeah. But it, it doesn't make sense because, you know, minimum spec, i5, 8400, or Ryzen 3, 3300X. There are a lot of older Intel CPUs that are as capable as the Ryzen, uh, or more capable, you know, 7700K is ballpark, uh, if not a fair bit faster, overclocked. Um, and yeah, that's you know, it doesn't really make sense. It's totally arbitrary, yeah. And uh, GeForce GTX 1060 for your minimum spec. I mean, man, that's that that it sends out the message that this is a really heavy game, and I suspect that you know if they've got a reasonable version running on Xbox One uh, slash PlayStation Four, you're going to be able to run this game quite well on a GPU that's significantly less capable. I mean, those it's the, the same engine. Yes, so <laughs> bizarre. Recommended specifications is an i7 8700K Ryzen 5 3600X, um, which is basically the same as a 3600. So, you know, again, <laughs> bizarre. Uh, 16 gigs of RAM. And yeah, the only difference between minimum and recommended is basically GTX 1070 versus GTX 1060. So there's not actually that much of a power window between the minimum and the recommended, which again makes it makes no sense. It's weird. it just it gets into the nature of these specs these days and what they mean, and it's just confusing. I think. <laughs> they, yeah, I mean, again, and it's similar with the AMD side. Five eighty moves up to a Vega fifty six, which is you know the Vega fifty six is equivalent to a ten seventy. Five eighty is equivalent to a ten sixty. Where's the fifty six hundred XT in all this? <laughs> it should be in there somewhere, but it, I'm presuming that would be above the Vega fifty six. So yeah, <sighs> bizarre. I mean, what I remember Titanfall, um, Titanfall two, I believe, um, Respawn actually did a re yeah they they produced lowest minimum recommended excellent specifications but they actually put it into context of what that specification actually means and that's the way to do it right because you know you you don't actually gain any insight into how well this game is going to run from this table utterly bizarre 
it, we really need to have some uh, some improvement in that situation. But it is going to be down to, I guess, reviewers to kind of do the work for them. The 6500 XT, well, in theory, that should put you between the minimum and recommended yeah, specs. Yeah, yeah, that should be fine. Knows? It should be fine. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but yeah, I really would like to see, you know, this thing, is, this tweet has got uh, 10 point, uh, yeah, 10,300 retweets. 34,500 likes. Who can like this? What information have you gleaned from this tweet? Anything Elden is... Ring? People are excited. <laughs> Me too, actually, okay. but, you know, not for well, this. We, <laughs> what what we have discovered is that uh, it will run on PC, um, modern PC. By it. the way, did you notice in the corner it says current specs are valid for launch day and may be updated in the future? <laughs> Brilliant. So it could become even less meaningful after launch. Awesome. They're still using the nomenclature sound card. Yes, that, that, sa- that, right? that was fascinating as well. Windows compatible audio device. <laughs> Just even basically... calling it a sound card at this point when you know, they still exist, but most people are not using a sound card. I don't know. It's just, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, you know, essentially what I'm gleaning from that is if, if your Windows install makes noise, then you should you should be fine. <laughs> this is just awesome okay uh well let's wrap that up and let's talk about uh df content discussion it's all going to be um dominated by discussion of horizon forbidden west which right. is out now we've been playing it for some weeks and um coverage was awesome so uh, thanks for that john and yes um should we talk about initial reactions? We've actually got like one, two, three, four, five questions from supporters. But before we go into that, do you want to talk about general response? Yeah, I, th- I think the response has been really good. People enjoyed the video and they were happy to see everything in there, basically. Uh, and there's been a lot of discussion this week, both from our video and others as well, like really focused on just the sheer granularity of the detail, which is immense. Absolutely. Um, and it's it's pretty impressive to see it. I think it's put to to rest some of the concerns over cross gen, which, like I said, between the two horizons, if you will, Forza Horizon Five and Horizon Forbidden West, both of them have kind of shown like this is the way to do a good cross gen release. There's other ways that are less successful, but this this is the way to do it. Uh, and layering in all that extra detail. Uh, solving some of the limitations on the other versions, it makes it makes a big difference, and you end up with something that looks great. Yeah, but they are essentially still built on the same rendering paradigms, really. Whereas you know we have seen stuff like Unreal Engine Five, which is using the new hardware exclusively to do something you know new and exciting and totally different to anything we've we've seen before. Um, so I'm I'm going to be interested to see. I mean, obviously the next Guerrilla Games title, whether it's a Horizon or or not, they're going to be unencumbered completely with the PlayStation Four generation. I I think that's a that's a really good point, Rich. That people are going to be surprised by was this game does look awesome, but you know it's still based on those old rendering paradigms that we know and love, <laughs> right? And going forward, I think console games will actually improve. Uh, in some pretty significant ways um, that will surprise people. So it's definitely something to consider. Yeah, and I think what is also interesting is that both you and I agreed that the game should be played at 30 FPS to get that super granular detail. You actually lose a lot by 
playing at 60. That's something which we first, I, I mean, I, I first made that switch with uh, Forza Horizon 5. It's, it's the it's the Horizon thing again. It's just, it's, you it's put that in the name the and it just, you know, it's, it's weird. But yeah, it's the same thing in both games where they look significantly better at 30 FPS, but the key is that they're both very responsive, right? Like Cyberpunk reminded me of what happens when a 30 FPS mode is unresponsive. And it's not good. But these games feel very crisp and responsive in either mode, which is key. Uh, and it does, as you say, have a huge impact on the visual quality. Those two games are among the few where I would argue that native 4K is valuable because it's often not needed, I think. Especially with certain types of... Like the Matrix demo. Like, you know, native 4K would be fine, but the way that works, I mean, it's basically 1080p most of the time anyway, but it looks phenomenal. Uh, this these games go for a different look that actually benefits from that super high res. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they are doubling down on extreme sort of hyper-real detail uh, that sets... I mean, the general trend is for gaming to move in a more filmic direction. I think that's pretty clear. That isn't the direction that the um, uh, the, the tech team and the artists at Guerrilla Games decided to go, go down. They've gone down the route of extreme detail. And, you know... You kind of need that 4K display to really make it pop to the extent that it does. If you're on a, a 1080p screen still, um, there's real no reason not to just use the performance mode because you get a nice super sampled image either way. Um, so it kind of doesn't matter. Just enjoy the higher frame rate. Uh, let's move on to some of the questions we had. The first one from Gian or Gion. Sorry pronunciations. Um, Skillup's review for Horizon Forbidden West showed significantly more noticeable pop-ins than digital foundries. Any idea why that might be? Yes, we do have an idea. So this is really interesting. I noticed this as well when I checked out their video. And so I talked to some other reviewers and it seemed to be very, very hit or miss. Some people were seeing this issue. Others were not. One person saw it on one of his PS5s, the other, and but he couldn't replicate it on another. Uh, and it's not traditional pop-in, right? It's like things aren't drawing when they should in very select areas, specifically in the desert. Um, it happened once to me in pre-patch, but then after the patch, I wasn't able to trigger it again. But some people have still triggered it. So I actually dug further into it, and it turns out it is it is a bug. So essentially, it's an it, it's not an issue with streaming. It's not an issue with hardware power. It's literally a, a bug in the game. So where it's not managing objects correctly or something. I, I, I don't know all the details on that, but uh, it does seem to be something that can be fixed. So, um, and that's, this is something that's become a little bit disappointing lately with recent releases. And I understand this basically due to the need of developers to have to work from home during all this, shipping these games is proving difficult, Right. And I, I understand that completely. But the, the knock-on effect of this is that uh, the builds getting burned to the discs are not as polished as you might like. And this is, this, is this is something that's existed since the Xbox 360 and PS3 days, right? Where game comes out, gets patches. But by and large, most games are still in pretty good shape on the disc. And this is something we look at a lot, but... Uh, some of these high-profile titles are coming out, and you do have this somewhat unpolished build. And this is, I should stress, completely different than the situations like Switch games that 
require a download or games like Halo Infinite, which also doesn't actually include the game at all on the disc. Like that, that is a separate issue. This is just the issue of the game as it's shipped isn't quite as polished as we would like. And that sucks. The only, I guess the only silver lining here is specifically with Horizon and some of these other games, they, they tend to put out these sort of like game of the year c- complete editions. So like Horizon 1 had this, you have a complete version out there. So it stands to reason that they might hopefully do that in the future, uh, which is nice. And again, I understand most of the audience doesn't care. They're just going to be like, well, you have internet, don't you? But there's there's more to it than that. <laughs> um, so I haven't seen the uh, coverage that shows significantly more noticeable pop-in. But what I have seen is Horizon in its gold master state versus Horizon in its day one launch state. And again, there were uh, there was a lot more pop-in on the older version than there was on the newer one. Um, so yeah, I mean, the concept that it's a bug isn't, you know, exactly far-fetched. You know, in the initial gold master version, there was these very significant sort of gaps and spikes between frame cuts, uh, and some glitching that happened there as well. And then in the, in the patch version, it was significantly improved. So, I mean, un- sadly that does seem to be the state of things these days. Uh, but, and you know. It's not much we can do about it, unfortunately, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, next question from Tim O'Keefe. Hey, DF Weekly crew, based on your analysis of Horizon Forbidden West, do you think there is enough headroom for a 40 FPS mode? I'm really hoping we see more games add this as the gen progresses and more TVs support HDMI 2.1. Difficult one, this, right? Because we don't really know the performance characteristics of the game above 30 with the cap removed. Yeah, we don't have any insight on their actual metrics so it's hard to say what they're what they have over that um how much headroom there is but they do have a dynamic resolution system in place so it stands to reason that bumping the cap up to 40 would essentially mean a slightly more aggressive drs uh but i feel like it should be fairly feasible to do this based on how consistent the game is otherwise but again, it's just conjecture, really. <laughs> um, we actually found it really difficult to see DRS in action on the quality mode. Yeah, I, I looked through it. It's it's very, very rare. The signs are actually potentially positive there, but who, who knows? <clears throat> Next question from Engin Kochak. Hi there. Do you think AMD FSR would be the better choice for the performance mode for Horizon Forbidden West? Also, put in a 40 F- FPS mode, you cowards. uh no next question no (laughs) we've talked a lot about fsr and i don't really think that it's just a it's another method for upscaling from lower resolutions i mean i'd be curious to see what it would look like but um to rent because you know this game does use checkerboarded 3200 by 1800 right so I guess effectively they're probably doing like what, like one third of the total number of pixels as the native 4K mode uh, on render. So for FSR to work, you'd have to get find out what the equivalent full frame resolution is in, in that area um, and then upscale from that. So I suspect it would actually look a lot worse. I think we again we should sort of um, explain what FSR is. It's it's an upscaling filter that enhances edges where it can find them. 
uh, granular detail of the, the likes we're talking about in uh, Horizon Forbidden West is not a good match for a basic upscaling algorithm. You would get edge enhancements, uh, but you may well get um, false positives in the enhancement algorithm that would actually impact in surface detail. Um, all I can really say about this is go back to Alex's original review and um, I think it was the Godfall comparisons. That's quite a detail-rich game. Um, yeah, so if you look at what FSR does to extreme high-frequency detail in a 4K presentation, it's not, you know, it's not a, a great fit, I don't think. And it's not actually a game that has a lot of harsh geometric edges. So the edge enhancement um, aspects of FSR probably wouldn't do much. No, I think you just end up with messier looking foliage all around. And, uh, you know, basically the reason why developers go for um, uh, temporal solutions like checkerboard rendering is that essentially they're reconstructing, they're adding detail derived from the prior frame. And FSR has no visibility of the prior frame in its default configuration. So again, you would be looking at, you know, as John says, about one third of a native 4K pixel count to get to 60 fps consistently and uh, that that wouldn't look great I, I guess that would be pretty uh suboptimal but i think yeah the bottom line is that gorilla know all about fsr you know they would have done the done the legwork there to see if it was a good fit for their game um and it kind of moves on to our next question really from abby collie what do you think about the fact that all Decima games we've seen so far only lightly utilize TAA? And, and that is actually quite an interesting question. I, I'm not sure it would apply that much to uh, Killzone Shadowfall, which was quite quite heavy in its um, uh, in its sort of the blur factor, if you like. But certainly with uh, Horizon, certainly with Forbidden West, um, we're seeing this super extreme granular detail that a lot of TAA solutions would effectively blur out. And um, it is a pretty light utilization, right? Yeah, I think it's a design choice specifically based on the types of visuals they're showing. It's the both Horizon games and then Death Stranding are very focused on these long, long vistas with lots of granular detail. Uh, and this stuff could get lost with, with using more frames to construct your final image using TAA. So they're only essentially using one frame for this and that does help clean up edges but it doesn't overly blur it which again it's a perfect fit for this style of artwork so it's one prior frame it's one prior frame i think that's what they're doing um the next question from paul calabata uh, interesting one this what graphical elements of horizon forbidden west could benefit from an eventual pc port well on a basic horsepower level you'd want to see the quality mode running at 60 FPS upwards. That's kind of the, the no-brainer, right? I'd also like to see a DLSS or DLAA even, if that's a thing by then. <laughs> I mean, this would be a really strong challenge for DLSS. It would be. I think it would absolutely be difficult, but I'd be curious to see the results because it's usually pretty good with handling lots of foliage and cleaning that up. Mm -hmm. I guess for a kind of hint, you could take a look at Horizon Zero Dawn, which again is... It's not quite as on the level of detail richness as uh, Forbidden West, but it does have its moments for sure. I mean, obviously I would want ray tracing features everywhere, but I don't know if that's beyond the scope of what's feasible on a PC release, depending on when they do it, I guess. Uh, I don't even know what the ray tracing features in Decima look like, if they even exist. 
right now because the game doesn't use ray tracing. No hardware ray tracing at all. So, I mean, I'm sure they've done plenty of research on this, and I wouldn't be surprised if their next game uses it. But I'm not sure that Forbidden West has any of that there. And that would have been the thing I'd want to see. Um, but, you know, I think just having a higher res version... Sorry, you know, keep keep the high res that you get on the quality mode on PS5, but allow it to run smoother <laughs> would be kind of key, right? Also, things like ultra-wide uh, resolutions would be great, as usual. Stuff like that. I mean, if you look at uh, the God of War port... It was essentially much the same, but they did have some nice little embellishments here and there, but they're not game-changing additions. I think, you know, um, it's. I think the first order of business is just to get the port right, because that didn't happen with uh, Horizon in its initial form. I think they should have Nixies on that. That would be the way to go. Yeah, and I guess that'd be just around the corner from uh, from Gorilla. Be a, very, a, very, a very nice working relationship. They're both in the same area, I guess in the Netherlands. So, um, and I guess they've already kind of, the legwork is already kind of done in scaling, I suppose, because you already have the base PS4 version versus the quality mode on PS5. And there's quite a golf there. So that's kind of taking care of the low versus ultra quality settings. And I'm sure they can scale between. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious what the middle ground would be because it, it is very stark, the difference there, <laughs> you know, whether there is that scalability built into into Decibel. The way it worked on um, Horizon, of course, is that, you know, there was the performance mode um, for the for the next-gen machines. And then there was also the fact that they did a really good port for the Xbox One X. So there were various kind of graphical tiers there that you could tweak. And it actually worked out pretty well. And, of course, they had to, um, they had to support the base Xbox One which meant that that kind of took care of PC low settings. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of more interested in the, the kind of wider scalability that they'd have to implement into Horizon Forbidden West to get it out there to, uh, to as many users as possible on the PC front. But, yeah, interesting stuff. Any final thoughts on Horizon before we move on? Uh, I mean, I guess by now people should have seen the comparison video that we did. We put, up, put that up on Friday. Um, I think, and yeah, that I thought it reminded me uh, of how fun comparisons can be when there's a genuine difference. When, they, when there's actual differences, yes. Again, not <laughs> not to bring it back, it's that double horizon thing again. But it was the same thing with Forza Horizon Five, where we were like sharing these screenshots in Slack, like, "Oh my gosh, look at the difference here! This is awesome." It was the same with this one, and that's fun. That that reminded me of why I like to do those types of videos. Uh, because for a while, you know, doesn't if you're just comparing two platforms, same generation, not bringing PC into it, there's usually not a big difference. Yeah, and, you know, made it a lot more interesting for us, for sure, compared to the standard current-gen comparisons where, you know, essentially developers aren't really interested in the hardware differences between PS5 and Series X at the moment because at the fundamental level, they're capable of producing very similar things. That's why I always laugh a little bit at some of, you know, the discussions people have over like which one's better based on a game. And it's like, if you took any game from one platform and ran it on the other, it would be basically the same and vice versa, right? Like there, there wouldn't be a difference. What you're talking about is the difference in the developer and what they've targeted, what they've achieved 
is it's really has nothing to do with the hardware anymore. Yeah, I'm kind of reminded of similar discussions during the PS360 generation where, um, you know, it's like, what if Naughty Dog were developing on the Xbox 360? Those games would still look awesome. They'd still, you know, would they, the power of the cell wouldn't really have made an impact on on that. I don't think the differences there were more were larger. I think, but I think they could have achieved pretty much anything on either platform given the right focus. Uh, and I'm sure they would have simply found other ways to do certain things. You know, because that that was the thing about PS3 is that you had to focus more on using the SPUs and pushing the CPU doing rendering on there, whereas on 360, the GPU was much more capable. So, uh, but you wouldn't want, trying to do things the Xbox 360 way on a PS3 was always disaster. And then trying to do the reverse didn't usually work as well either. So, uh, but this time though, I think PS5 and Xbox Series X are really similar. <laughs> uh, okay, well, that's enough Horizon. Let's move on to, um, I guess it's an extension of this, DF Supporter Program Q&A. Hurrah. Um, I'm going to group together the first two questions because they seem to be uh, similar in, in some interesting respects. First one from, God, Ralgu, Ralg, man, these pronunciations. Hello, DF crew, with the upcoming titles Horizon, Starfield, FM and GT, I guess that's sports and motorsport. Gran Turismo. I have increasingly asked myself the question of whether it might be possible to make a kind of generation comparison. In these videos, games from the last generation of a franchise or developer would be compared with the latest titles of this franchise or developer to show what has changed. Would you be interested in this kind of video? You kind of did that with Horizon, I think. Yeah, I, I hinted at that in Horizon. Yeah. Uh, the second question from Flo G. Hi there! Exclamation point. I thought about the idea of comparing graphics and rendering features slash quality of platform exclusives from the beginning and the end of a console generation just to see how far the devs have pushed, for example, the PS4 and how rendering performance evolved over this time. What are your thoughts on this? Thank you for your great work. So it's two questions here asking us to do comparisons. First of all, from generation to generation. And the second question is basically from the beginning of a generation to the end of a generation. Interested in your thoughts on this one? I actually like both both ideas, right? Like there there is some mileage there, and I have thought about. I, I especially like the generational leap comparison, where you look at at like the first game from a studio on one piece of hardware, and then look at their first game on the next generation and see how how they've evolved their techniques. But also the you know beginning and end of generation can be really interesting, uh, depending on the games you choose. I think Call of Duty is always a great one to go to with Call of Duty Ghosts versus uh, you know the most recent one now. It's it's pretty different. Yeah, there's also different engines in there. You'd have to find the the this Infinity Ward one then, right? Yeah, so it would be Modern Warfare 2019 would be the final one, which is like a, <laughs> a gigantic, a gigantic quality leap. Yeah, <laughs> that is an interesting one. Uh, that's sort of within the generation, and then and then kind of gen uh, generation to generation, uh, that might be trickier. I mean, we talked about Horizon, but they started with Shadowfall, of course, um, Guerrilla Games. See, that's the thing is I was looking at Shadowfall again, and I'm kind of blown away still by how well it holds up visually. It looks so good. And now that it runs at 60 on a PS5, it's actually competitive with some of the more recent shooters on the market. 
like it's shocking to see like it's genuinely up there where it's like okay this actually does not feel out of place next to the latest entries in certain other franchises uh it's only real like minus point is the resolution is limited to 1080p because it never received an update for ps4 pro but visually it's stunning um whereas you know again <laughs> call of duty ghosts not to rag too hard on it yeah it doesn't really hold up Another one I would say it holds up from the Xbox One PS4 in the same way is a Rise Son of Rome from Crytek, which is just still, like, it's stunning. It looks great even now. You can scale that one on PC because there is a, there's a very good PC port of that. So that's, that's kind of good. Um, yeah, I guess we would like to do these videos if we had the time, really. And if we came up with a, with a concept that, uh, and, a, and a source title that could actually really work. I think that could work out quite quite well, but it would be tricky. I think you'd agree to compare, like you know, Killzone Shadowfall to Horizon Forbidden West. Wouldn't work across genres that easy, but I could see something like Forza Motorsport Five versus Forza Motorsport Eight could be really eye opening when that finally hits. You know, like that that would be a fun one. I think you could have the original Forza Motorsport for the for the generation. We could do Xbox 360, Xbox One, and then the new series, and it, it would be quite interesting. Okay, so uh, let's move on to the next question from Chell Borvik. Hello, DF. I recently got myself an LG C1 48-inch OLED TV. Good for you, and I love it. Uh, but playing 30fps games on this TV is so much worse than on my old NanoCell TV. Before, I could play a game at 30, but not anymore. Is there a setting that is suitable for 30 FPS games? Uh, I guess two questions really here, John, from my perspective. First of all, why is he seeing a difference? And secondly, is there a setting that is suitable for 30 FPS games? Uh, yes, he is seeing a difference. And this actually comes down to pixel response time. Um, OLEDs, CRTs, plasma displays, they have much faster either pixel or phosphor response time than an LCD, right? Um, so so OLED has like instant pixel response, but there's you still get some uh, sort of um, blur in motion when it's not doing black frame insertion because it's doing sample and hold. But the actual pixel response is really, really fast. So what, he's, what he ends up seeing then is you're basically seeing each individual frame more clearly like the gaps between the frames. And it would be like that on, again, OLED, Plasma, CRT, it's the same thing. Um, LCD kind of smears it natively, right? Like even a modern LCD panel <laughs> tends to sort of smear the motion. The pixel response time is not nearly as fast as those other display technologies. And in some cases, I don't like this, but I know some people actually prefer that blur for 30 FPS because it sort of like blends the frames together. And as a result, there isn't really a setting or any way to make it to, to get that back because it's just the nature of the technology. So uh, it's really going to be something it's it's a matter of taste. Some people don't like that. I think it's, I prefer the individual sharper frames, um, but it's not for everyone. That's a shame. <laughs> okay, fair enough. We've got another LG question here um, from, I don't know, how are you going to pronounce that? Uwum. <laughs> Uwum. Um, hello, 
I got an LG C1 for Black Friday, and while of course it's a great gaming display, I'm still not fully convinced on HDR. What are some great HDR implementations in games to really convince somebody that HDR is as amazing as some people say it is? So I guess this is what are our favorite HDR games? Yeah, I guess so. We've done some of that before. Uh, the first one that comes to mind, and the one that always comes to mind, you got to start with Gears 5. And especially with the uh, the add-on pack, Hive Busters. Like those, man, Gears 5 HDR implementation is truly world-class. It's so good. And I think the auto HDR was actually derived from the work that they did on Gears 5, if that tells you something. So that's definitely got to be your first port of call. Uh, on the flip side... I'm going to get, go ahead and guess that GT7 is going to be a showpiece because GT Sport is another huge showpiece for HDR uh, that really has to be seen. So, And these are slightly older games, though. So um, as far as recent stuff is concerned, um, that's actually a little bit tricky because I do think it's, it tends to be, when it's implemented, it's usually pretty good. But if you're really looking for something that's genuinely like eye-opening, I think those two games are still like my favorites. I, you know what, Crackdown Three, weirdly enough, is another one. I know that game got a lot of flack. I actually really enjoyed it, <laughs> and the HDR implementation in there is phenomenal. Ori and um, the Will of the Wisps. Oh, yes, absolutely. Ori and the yeah. Will of the Wisps. That at 120 FPS with HDR is just unbelievable. Uh, it's genuinely mind blowing to see that, that. I think that will that will sear your retinas suitably. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there's some good tips there, but I think generally you're right, John. That the general uh, quality of HDR is improving. Um, there's there's some really good stuff out there. It's a shame that uh, Uwum isn't impressed. But uh, Horizon Forbidden West is actually a pretty good candidate. But I have a tip. If you're playing it on an LG OLED, uh, go and you're using the non-auto tone mapping, uh, HDIG. If you're using HDIG, which I do recommend, go to the highlight setting in the HDR menu and drop it down a couple notches at least. Otherwise, you you clip the highlights, and it ends up making the game look a little bit too bright and over overbearing in a way that's not great, and you lose some of that detail. So, hot tip, good stuff. Okay, next question. Uh, this one's from Christian Bouchel, and uh, could well be controversial, but let's get it out there. Hello there, exclamation point. Although AMD caught up to NVIDIA in raster performance with RDNA 2, they lack behind in RT and ML features, such as DLSS. Who would you recommend to buy AMD GPUs, assuming the cards are available at MSRP? Do you think AMD can catch up with NVIDIA in RT slash ML? And does the coming XESS help AMD? Love your content. Keep it up. Well, this is really tricky, isn't it, John? Because um, the RT performance in particular is is way off pace compared to NVIDIA. And there is no accelerant comparable to DLSS to bridge the gap. And I think we saw with Alex's video with Dying Light 2 that FSR isn't up to the task and even though it does increase frame rate, it doesn't increase it enough to bring it up to par with what NVIDIA is doing. Which, and, and you lose image quality on top of that, which, which puts 
AMD in a really tricky position because, you know, we've been saying pretty much since the RX 5700 XT came out with no RT features at all. It's like, this is a really good card, but you've got to understand that the paradigms of rendering technology are shifting and this card is not equipped to handle that. And then you move on to, you know, the 6000 series where they are equipped, but they're way off pace compared to NVIDIA. So I don't think my recommendations have changed. You've basically got to go in accepting that the cutting edge features that are coming out will not perform as well to the point where you may not be able to use them at all. And that actually makes it really difficult to, if you, you know, if you've got the choice of both of these GPUs head to head at MSRP, which I don't think is actually a realistic scenario at, at the moment anyway. But if it say it were, it makes make, making those um, uh, uh, GPUs a, a tough call, right? Yeah, I tend to agree with you on this. I mean, at the moment, um, if you have no choice, you can still get a good experience with these AMD GPUs. But it's pretty clear that. If you want to experience the best that PC gaming has to offer now, uh, you the NVIDIA cards are the way to go. Like, a lot of the high-end titles do support ray tracing now. Uh, they do support DLSS, and it runs very fast, and it looks great. As a result, you just can't get that on AMD right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tough conversation to have because, you know, you want to be objective in um, assessing the, uh, the strides made by both. Um, of the vendors here. And, uh, you know, just to sort of big up AMD for a moment, you know, let's just recap on what they have achieved with RDNA 2, which is number one, um, they are producing a product in raster performance that is comparable with NVIDIA and they're doing it without high-end memory. They, you know, this infinity cache has really paid off. Secondly, their clock speeds are way ahead of NVIDIA's. Um, you know, they're going up to like, I think the latest one, the small small navi as it were minuscule navis like going up to like 2.8 gigahertz which is in, insane for a, a gpu so this is all really good stuff um but you know in terms of the forward-looking features that are going to define pc gaming to come you know they've got a lot of catching up to do uh, in terms of the question i was going to say they're in the console space as well in a big way right so they have that going for them. That's a that's a big deal. <laughs> I mean, and you know the the stuff they're doing on the CPU side. Obviously, Intel has caught up with Alder Lake, but I've got no need to replace my fifty nine fifty X. You know, it's not as if um, um, Intel has come in with like a, a striking blow that annihilates Ryzen five thousand. That they're, they're slightly ahead. And they've got some really interesting ideas on architecture, but you know, this AMD are on the up. And um, if we consider like Ryzen 1000, I mean, it did a job, but it wasn't actually that great for gaming. Eventually they got there, right? And I, have, I foresee that the same thing will happen in the GPU space. It just takes time, right? I'm completely positive at this point that they are working in that direction, right? They, they know that they're lacking in that area. And I'm sure there's a lot of work being done to get competitive there. And this is typically how it goes with these. There's this back and forth action with with graphics cards that we always see and uh i mean it's good for everybody that there's competition there absolutely and um the question here do you think amd can catch up with nvidia in rt slash ml and does the coming xcss help amd um 
they can catch up, but obviously it's not a static target. I mean, I think the thing, the reason why Verizon uh, actually achieved so much is that Intel was kind of like a static target for years. They had problems with process. They, they stuck with the Skylake core for like five years, which is, it's never going to happen with NVIDIA. Um, and uh, so, yes, I mean, they can catch up, but NVIDIA isn't going to be standing still. Uh, the second part of the question, does the coming XESS help AMD? Uh, we, we, don't, we don't know because we don't know what the performance of XESS is on any hardware, not even Intel hardware. I mean, I do appreciate the open nature of um, what uh, Nintendo, is, oops, Nintendo, Intel is signaling with XESS, but it, you know, realistically, they're going to want that technology to work best on Intel. You know, as to how well it works on other GPUs, I mean, it's going to work on a 1060. So, you know, but we don't know the performance level there, and it's up to. Um, <laughs> It's up to Nintendo. It's up to Intel to release. Man, I want to see a Nintendo um, Intel console now so we can call it Nintel, like the old Wintel days. <laughs> I'm obsessed with Nintendo. That's that's the only that's the only thing to come out of that. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Uh from Dan XL. Hello and good day, exclamation point. Horizon uh, Forza Horizon five. Horizon Forbidden West and Dying Light 2 have all really pushed the new consoles in their 30 FPS quality modes. As we go deeper into this generation of consoles, do you think we're going to see larger and larger gaps between 30 FPS quality modes and 60 FPS performance, performance modes? And do you expect some games to drop their performance modes altogether? Yes, I do. I Absolutely. I think if you look at developers targeting these high-end Unreal Engine 5 style experiences specifically, um, you, there's not going to, I don't see a performance mode there, at least in most cases, uh, like that, the matrix demo, if you're trying to hit that sort of fidelity, there's just no way <laughs> the headroom isn't there. So I think it really, it's going to come down to a priority of what the developer's trying to achieve. 60 frames per second has always been a design choice, right? You can do 60 FPS on whatever hardware you want within reason. Uh, it just depends on what they're trying to do with the visuals. The main reason we're seeing it so much now is that the big bottleneck last gen was the CPUs, and that made it very difficult to get to 60, even if the GPU was well within acceptable parameters when it comes to achieving it. Uh, so I think 60 FPS will still stick around for a good bit, and I think it will be pretty common because right now it is it is actually the standard if we think about it i think i've looked it's like 75 80 percent of the library at least is 60 frames per second or more on this generation of consoles um so that's that's fantastic we haven't had this since the ps2 era so it's it's a it's a return to form and they're good it's not like i mean you remember last gen Tomb Raider definitive comes out on ps4 and it's like uh it gets to 60 in some some cases but in reality, it was very unstable. But that's not what we're seeing this time. What can I say? I'm, I'm going to say it again. Uh, 40 FPS will, may well become the new 60 FPS. So if you have a 120 hertz, yeah, if you have a 120 hertz screen, uh, a new frame every three refreshes, and uh, it actually looks really good. Play it on Ratchet and Clank, see what you think. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Um, 
What do you think is responsible for the lack of four and even two-player split-screen multiplayer on model consoles? This one is from Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns is uh, one of my personal heroes alongside Dr. Doom and Emperor Palpatine. Uh, uh, Mr. Snrub. <laughs> Going back to the question. Uh, <laughs> is it just because of low ROI, return on investment? Given the fact that one Series X SoC can run four Xbox One instances and a PS5 can even run Uncharted 4 at 4x frame rate compared to PS4, shouldn't this make it more easier than ever before? Especially when you consider that resolution could even go a lot lower than 1080p for each player and still deliver a perfectly fine multiplayer experience. No split screen at all in FH5 and GT7 being limited to two players seems baffling. What is your response to uh, Mr. Burns? I think it has a lot to do with just the state of where games are at right now. And I would love to see more split screen, but um, there's, there's such a focus now on online connectivity, right? Nintendo still does a decent amount of single console play, but a lot of the other big games aren't. Um, but it does also have an impact on how you design the game, whether it's in there, like Forza Horizon 5, for instance, I, I don't see how split screen could work in that especially well, because I, you know, if you're, if you're racing on one track, that's one thing, but if you have a player in two different parts of the world, uh, I feel like that's asking a lot of the engine. <laughs> that seems a little bit beyond the scope of what's feasible there. So I can see why that's gone. Uh, GT7, I mean, it's all. I think it's always been two-player split-screen. Track-based racing games have a huge advantage there over an open-world racing game because it's, you know, that that is absolutely feasible there. Uh, I think, you know, my still my favorite example. Did you ever see the eight-player virtual racing mode on Switch? Not on Switch. Oh, I actually, I did see it on your, uh, yeah. on your video. Eight-player split-screen. <laughs> It was incredible. They actually did it. Uh, so, Importable mode. Yes. And yeah, uh -huh. so I've talked to developers about this, and some of them have explored these options, but it always comes back to whether or not they think it's worth it or it will actually be used because there's a decent amount of time and money that goes into developing this feature, and you kind of have to look at your game and say, all right, is this actually something that people are going to really want to use or not? And... I do think it is less popular these days, but I would still like to see it more often. Uh, I've had a lot of good experiences with it, especially, you know, Halo, I think, is is the king of this. I've played through the Master Chief collection in its entirety with my son in split-screen mode, and we had a great time. And it's, it's, it's amazing to see it now because when you're at 4K, right, you basically have 3840 by 1080 per screen. <laughs> so... You each get an ultra wide screen with a wide FOV, high resolution graphics, and it runs smoothly. And when you experience that, it's pretty awesome, especially with these larger, larger TVs. So I would like to see it more. I think console hardware and displays are better suited than they've ever been for this. But the, I think the business realities and what players seem to want is keeping it from becoming as common as it should be. Uh, I think Mr. Burns answered his own question. Uh, it's because of low ROI, you know, return on investment. I suspect the telemetry is coming back saying that split screen isn't actually used uh, that extensively when it is uh, implemented. So that's probably why it doesn't have a focus and why online 
Online kind of solves a lot of problems, certainly on the rendering side, <laughs> in that you don't need to render two basic game states, maintain two, two game states. That's kind of the reason why I suspect. A final question from Andrew, no surname, um, and it's specifically aimed at you. John, you're an advocate of physical media, but also as a member of Digital Foundry and aficionado of the best graphics and performance. However, one can't get all these things in one place. Consoles offer one, PC the other. How do you decide which platform to buy a game on? Well, I often find myself going for console first and specifically usually for Switch or PS5 or PS4 because their physical media is generally better in that sense because you get the complete game, it installs offline. That's what I want for preservation. But then when it comes to actually, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example of something. It really depends on the game, right? Like something like Cyberpunk, for instance. I have purchased no physical copy of it because uh, I don't really have much interest in playing it on the console, so it wouldn't do me that much good. So I did end up playing it on PC. Uh, plus, you know, it's a GOG version, I guess, so it's DRM-free, right? Uh, I think so. I hope so. Yeah, so that's that's good. But in, like, some cases, like, um, you know, Dark Souls 3, for instance, I finished the game on my PC, and then I later picked up a physical copy on console to have on hand, uh, which is a nice thing. Um, in addition, why? Uh, because, so, what I find is, I, ha I have a large selection of, of classic games handy, on cons on consoles right and i often find myself interested in just revisiting them and during those those flights of fancy just being able to pop it in and start playing is usually what i'm looking for even if and basically once a game is no longer cutting edge i become less sensitive to any technical flaws right like you play um like a saturn game a 3d game that doesn't run well but I can kind of appreciate what they're doing for the hardware and it doesn't bother me. And it's the same thing here. Like I can go back to PlayStation three games more easily now than I could at the time, because you know what the PS three is and you don't expect the best. I mean, we're not all Chad Warden here. Uh, but, and I, I can, so it's kind of a weird thing like that. And in some cases, you know, with, when it comes, like for Elden Ring, for instance, I'm going to buy the game on PS5 to play it. I'm not actually planning to cover it for the channel. I think Tom or somebody else is going to do that. I don't know. Um, but I, if it's anything like I've done in the past, eventually it'll go on sale on the PC for real cheap. And I'll probably buy it on PC and replay the game on PC uh, in, its, in a different form. Because why not? So... It's, it's kind of like that. So I end up often weirdly owning multiple versions and especially with the PC because I, I, whenever PC games go, che go cheap, I do not mind spending a bit. But I do kind of have this hard hard line where I won't spend more than like 30 bucks on a, on a game if it's digital only or in digital form. The only exception I did is I spent a little bit more than that on... Um, uh, blanking on the name right now even though it's so good boneworks for vr because i love that game so much and there was no chance of that ever being anything else so 
I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird topic for me. Most people are probably like banging their keyboards right now. Like, what are you doing? Just it's like embrace all digital, but I will not. <laughs> and that's it. That's the final question at the end of our show. Um, hopefully next week uh, for DF Direct Weekly 50, we will be back to full strength and uh, we can plow on as usual. But I quite enjoyed this uh, this duo head-to-head direct. Yeah, it was a little different than usual. It's a, it a nice change of pace. Hopefully people still enjoyed it so (laughs) (laughs) good stuff and if you did enjoy it please do like subscribe share ring the bell for notifications that may or may not be instant depending on your circumstances (laughs) a df support program get involved talk to the team uh, on discord um, get access to this show early and a bunch of other stuff early as well and uh, bonus material awesome df retro stuff it's it's the complete package Uh, but that's all from us for now Thanks for watching.